0: That's a, uh, I've never heard it described that way. And I know our listeners, a lot of our listeners are curious about that's why we're asking these questions. But, but you, the fact that you've got to make sure the defense attorney is doing his job because that brings up the, def, the, 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 his client's claim afterwards of ineffective counsel if he doesn't do his job correctly. And then you got to right. go through the whole damn thing again.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's no sense in doing that. Not if, not if you can prompt them to do something that hadn't been done. I mean, you know, you just, that, it just makes sense to do that. Otherwise, you're just doing it for no reason. You're just going to have to come back and do it again.
2: What's a rule 32?
1: It's a, it's a post-conviction remedy that a defendant has <clears throat> where he can uh, raise issues like ineffective assistance of counsel. Um, and and if, if, you know, if the facts are on his side, he can get a new trial. He can get a conviction set aside.
2: So now in Alabama, do you have discovery or is it trial by ambush?
1: No, it's it's discovery, and you know we, again, just like we do as far as giving notice to defense lawyers about when their cases are going to be tried. We, you know, we try our best on getting our discovery out as quickly as we can. Again, because it, it does mean no good for defense lawyers not to have their discovery. I mean, they can't advise their client or discuss their with their client what they think they should do if they can't fully appreciate a case. So, I mean, we certainly. You know, there's times when we may be slow about it, or we we may miss something. But by and large, I feel like we do a good job of getting what we're supposed to get to the defense lawyers as quickly as we can. Because again, unless both sides can appreciate what they're dealing with, there's no way you can resolve a case. So it's to your benefit to do that.
2: And you made a statement earlier I want to ask you about, too, because you said, you know, you don't get a lot of money from the state. When you do a death penalty case, What what's the cost to the taxpayer? I mean, because it's, I mean, you've got, I mean, I know it's kind of tough, but like on average, it's like it's not, it's your time, it's lab fees, it's witness, you know, it's whatever it is, right, um, all that time. What what do you think it costs to, uh, to fully prosecute, let's say you get a guilty verdict uh, and even up through appeals, but what, what's the cost to the taxpayers when you're looking at a case like that?
1: You know, honestly, I, I don't know that it's that um, it costs that mo- much more with respect to what I do. Because again, you know, when it gets down to just trying the case, um, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, I'm I'm calling the same people from forensics that I always do in a murder case. Uh, you know it's really not that different. You just, you are just proven murder plus an aggravating circumstance. So that doesn't cause you to have to do anything different from a prosecution standpoint. the The big cost to the taxpayer is how much the defense attorney can bill for that. And there's no limits on it. So, you know, it, they can, they can bill an exorbitant amount for a capital case that either drags out for a long period of time, or it ends up in court on a bunch of motion uh, that have to be uh, argued in court. And then if the trial ends up being a lengthy trial because they bill, you know, they get to bill different rates if they're in court or out of court. So it's just, it ends up costing the state a lot of money just from, I think m- mostly because of what they have to they pay for? for, for indigent defense. Hmm.
2: Now, but the ones that are doing indigent defense, you know, uh, do you have – what is your version of it down there than the public defender or do you have to – or is it all everybody's appointed to do work?
1: It's appointed. We do not have a public defender in my circuit.
2: Okay. So, uh, the ones that are doing this work, um, are you getting a – I mean, look, let's just be honest. There are different skill levels for attorneys just like there are, you know, in any other profession, you know, medical, you know, legal. um, Are Is – does, does everybody have a requirement to do some of those cases, or is it just that you have a certain group of lawyers that do all the indigent defense work? Um, hmm.
1: You know, I, th- I think, uh, by and large, I think the judge tries to kind of fairly dole those cases out, um, primarily just to keep any one lawyer, you know, from having too 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 many of those cases because they are so time-consuming but i think also uh i've i've noticed with our judges over you know the last 20 years they also recognize those lawyers that um they would probably prefer to be involved in those cases where you are seeking a death penalty or it's a capital case and um they they seem to gravitate to those lawyers more more times than not so um i think they try to spread them out as best they can but it does seem like the, the same lawyers do end up getting a bunch of them just because they have a proven track record that they can handle them.
2: So if you're doing criminal defense work, there's a chance, I mean, you, you don't volunteer for this stuff. You you can be picked by the judge, can look at it and say one time, Bill Smith, uh, you're. I need That's you right. here. You're defending this case.
1: That's correct. There's, I can't remember what the requirement is, Morgan. There's. You've got to have practice for so long, and then you have got to have, I can't remember the other requirement. I think maybe you have to set uh, there has to be two lawyers appointed t- to defend someone in a capital case, uh, and I think you have to sit as second chair in maybe a couple of capital cases before you can be lead counsel. But they're designated lead and second chair. So um, once you get past those requirements, though, yes, they can just point you out in the courtroom and say, "Mr. Smith, you know, I'm going to point you this case." So,
2: so can you confirm or deny, my cousin Vinny? You were part of that. Was based on you?
1: <laughs> it was not based on me
0: Well, it's funny because you know you're talking about making sure the defense does their job and in that movie the prosecutor does that
1: yeah i do recall some of that um no i really i really detested the way they portrayed um the south in that movie to be quite frank with you but uh yeah yeah, that yeah they, they were treat.
2: Well, look i'm a farm boy from kansas they, they treat you like a bunch of rubes or rednecks it's like that's right yeah, you you know you're from Canada you don't know how to do this kind of stuff yeah yeah we do you know yeah
0: yeah well it's funny you know people make fun of the south but everybody wants to move to the south don't they
1: yeah i've I, I have noticed that <laughs> over my lifetime um
0: quite so bad
1: i'm I'm pretty proud of our court system and i'm I'm certainly proud of what my office does and you know i I've, I've had um I've had the pleasure to work with a lot of good attorneys some of which have come in you know, to our circuit to defend cases from uh, a good distance, and you know, I think they do come to the 17th Circuit with a preconceived idea, and I have, um you know, I, I, I hope you this have disabused doesn't sound boastful, them, but-
2: disabuse them of that misconception, haven't yes. you?
1: Yes, and 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 you know, and but it, it's nice when they leave uh because you know, a, a good lawyer. um Knows it's not personal. He knows he's doing a job and I'm doing a job. And, and it's nice when, when they do leave your circuit that they, they come and congratulate you on what you did and, and compliment how you do it and and appreciate the way you do it, You know that you didn't try to take advantage of them and you didn't try to play hide the ball, that you played fair um, and you knew what you were doing. Um, and I've always found that to be the case um, in the 17th circuit. That's something that I'm proud of.
0: I, well, I'll tell you what, I mean, I know there's three small counties. But I, I mean, just hearing what your manpower is, which is almost non-existent, it's amazing what you guys are getting done. Then I, I don't know how you can keep that docket going, and and uh, you know the crime's not slowing down any at all.
1: Yeah, it's it, it it's a chore, Steve. I mean, I tell people, I mean, you you cannot keep up with it um, unless you're 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 working at it every day. You know, I mean, you, you you've got to be engaged with the lawyers every day, talking about cases. You know, trying to resolve cases every day. You can't wait until you've got a trial term to do that. It, you you've got to be doing it all the all the while. You know, when you've got dead time where you've not, you know, got a trial term just right at the door. You know, that's when you've got to to pull out those files that you know you've got problems in. You got to do the best you can at, at reconciling those for you, and then you got to reach out to that lawyer and say, look. You know, let's let's do something with this case. And um, if you don't do that and you don't do it every day or every week, then it just it, it overruns you. So it is definitely something you've got to work out, work at constantly. And if you don't, you can't keep up with it.
0: Well, just so our listeners know, we're actually conducting this interview in an evening. You know, Greg was gracious enough to his his schedule is so busy we couldn't get on his calendar in the daytime. So we're doing this as an evening interview, and we we even tried to work out a Saturday, but I want we didn't want to interfere with your fishing tournaments going on. Down there. So I appreciate that. You got you to have some downtime.
1: That's
2: right. All right, before we get into this other story, you, you got to just uh, tell us uh, who is the stupidest defendant you've ever come across. <laughs> when you get done you go son stupid's gonna hurt in prison son that's all i can tell you.
0: if you're gonna be stupid you gotta be
1: tough oh that 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 list is long um you know it just i don't know it seems like here lately <laughs> we we've had a we've had a rash of that um you know I, I i'll tell you one that that's funny i mean we had a it was and it was a bad case we had a guy that um he, he just got enamored with this underage girl that was, I think at the time she was probably about 13 or 14 years old. Um, I guess finally that got the best of him. He just showed up at, at her house one afternoon. She was there with her mother. No, actually it was her aunt. Um, middle of the day and um, kicked his way in. Um, they ran and, and got in a bedroom and got the door locked. Uh, he got to the door. The girl got on the phone and was calling 911. So he started trying to shoot his way in, and the ant was holding the door. I'll never forget this. She, she was holding the door, laying on her back with her feet up against the door, and he was shooting through the door, and a uh, forty caliber bullet entered the top of her head and literally parted her hair from front to back. I mean, literally, and we dug it out of the wall on the other side of the room, and it, it had her hair matted around it.
0: Oh man! So
1: that's how close she came. Now, she he he could not get in, and uh, because he heard her on the phone, he finally gave it up and ran out. And then it went like a, a a day and a half manhunt until we caught him. But um, you know, he he just didn't have a defense. And um, I remember we we got in. He he wouldn't plead, so we we struck the jury and we started the trial. She was uh, the young girl's my first witness and she got about to that point where she was describing what was going on in the bedroom and the defense lawyer i heard i heard her say something and i looked over there and she was like he said he's heard all he can hear he wants to plead <laughs> so he he pled halfway through the first witness so, but i never understood why he decided to take it that far, so
2: but but he had to plead up straight up to the charges, right? There was yeah, no he had to
1: plead blind, He had to plead blind at that at, at that point in time. So it, it definitely cost him some years. Um, we had a guy not long ago, you know, we had it, it was um, it was it was. Well,
2: a, well, hold on a second before we get to that point. What did this guy? What was his brilliant legal strategy? Thinking that they wouldn't show up, that maybe a witness wouldn't show know. up. I mean, I, I never knew.
1: <laughs> I I never knew. Uh, We had a case recently. We tried uh, last year where a guy, he started an altercation with a guy and it was caught on security cameras. And so we saw him shooting in the ground and threatening the guy. And then he shot him where you couldn't see him on the cameras. But then he went a couple of houses down and was caught on some security cameras growing in these people's house and taking off his bloody clothes and um, leaving those and taking some of their clothes and leaving out in different clothes and um I can't remember what else we had. We had an eyewitness to it and you know he just for whatever reason he he wouldn't plead and I think I think we offered him like 25 and he ended up getting 35. You know 10 years just for ignorance.
0: <laughs> for you know, you probably don't know this Greg, but we have a Patreon subscriber channel on Game of Crimes and one of our monthly sections is you can't make this shit up. No, you <laughs> well, can't. have to get you on there. <laughs> yeah, you,
1: you, you just can't. Um but well, some he-
2: people I remember one of the stories we told, though, it was like one of these stupid idiots. It was kind of like guys in court, you know, victims up there testifying and, um, you know, masked people were had committed the crime and stuff. And she looked at him and she said, do you know who did it? You know, yes, I recognize this defendant. He did it over. Here. He goes, hey, he stands up. I mean, this is a real case. He stands up. That's bullshit. You couldn't tell it was me. I had a mask on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, you gotta love them. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, Your Honor, the defense or the the, the prosecution rests. We're yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I gotta right. tell you one more story before we do this. I was down at a uh, grand jury in Atlanta. Uh, we had some bank robberies up in our area. We're down in Atlanta. The guy that was doing our robberies up there did a robbery down in Atlanta, carjacked, somebody killed him. Um, so there's a whole federal case in, in addition to the state case. Well, by the way, um, do you remember the uh case that went to the Supreme Court on the inmate out of Georgia who said, You can't, you know, you can kill me, you just can't do you just can't use that was our that that was our guy. Oh, Michael okay. That okay. was Michael Nance, guy named Michael Nance was our guy from those robberies. He got the death penalty in Georgia, and he says, "Ah, oh, but I've been an IV drug user, so that would be really painful. You can shoot me, you just can't <laughs> use the needle on me." But right. anyway, long story short, we're sitting there, and this AUSA Assistant U.S. Attorney comes out, and he's laughing. And you know, the rule is, you never write, you never ask a question you don't already know the answer to. And That's he's right. got this older gentleman. You know, black gentleman, very proper, you know, dressed really nice and stuff in there. And he's the witness to a a, a murder and a stabbing and a robbery. And the, the guy stabbed the other guy with a knife. And so they're talking with him. And of course, it's kind of a, my cousin Vinny thing, you know, the thickness of glasses. But, you know, Mr. Johnson, you're telling me, he actually was doing a good job. He says, You're telling me from one block away, you saw my client stab this guy. Yes, that's true. From 300 feet away, 372 feet, whatever they measured. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Well, Mr. Johnson, exactly how far can you see? He goes, I can see the sun. How far is that? <laughs> <You gotta laughs> Perfect. <love it. laughs>
0: Perfect.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I always heard too, the best uh, cross-examination, if you can do a cross-examination, like in three questions, that's good. Two is great. One is super. And I said, give me an example. He said, they had a robbery case one time and the only alibi was the the defendant's mother. So she gets up there and it says, you know, the defense, you know, passes the witness. Prosecution gets up there, only asks one question, goes, you're the defendant's mother, aren't you? Yes. Okay. That was it, you know, boom. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, well, let's get into talking about this other one, too, because that's one of the other reasons. This is uh, the second time you uh, cheated death. Mm-hmm. So set the stage for us, because this one, this one. Um, this one this one I think probably in a lot of ways was a lot closer than the plane accident, because this one was personal. Well, in a sense it was personal, but you were targeted. This wasn't like you're with a bunch of other people. So let's set the stage for this. Let's start talking about what you knew, what was going on. So tell us, you know, when this happened, uh, you know, what was going on, where were we at?
1: We had um we had, had a a a real busy year leading up to a term of court we had coming up in, in the fall. And, uh, what I, what I mean by that is we had, we had a sheriff in one of my three counties that was just involved in a lot of unsavory stuff. And we had to do something that, uh, I never thought I'd have to do. We had to actually impeach, um, a sheriff. And so we had gone through the whole process of getting the impeachment through the Sumter County grand jury. And then the case then had to be taken before the Alabama Supreme Court and tried um, for them to actually impeach him and remove him from office. And so that all happened. And then in the aftermath of that, we reconvened that grand jury and then charged him criminally for some of the things that had led to his impeachment. So those that that was the defendant that was about to go to trial in late November of that year um and so you know there was a good bit of of talk about it um obviously it, it had gotten a lot of attention when we went through the impeachment um process so we were in the process of trying to prepare for that it was a lot of people um i can't was remember the impeachment how impeachment
2: a criminal matter or a civil matter
1: you know i, I don't know that it's... Either, to be honest with you, more I mean, basically.
2: I mean, it's kind of, it's not, he's not being brought up on criminal charges, right? It's more of a political uh, yeah. mechanism to remove. It's like you would impeach, you know, somebody to remove them from office. The correct. same thing, right?
1: Correct. So, you know, we agreed uh, with the grand jury that was convened to hear um, the impeachment. Um, I just told him, I said, look, my primary objective is to get this guy out because he's such a, um you know, he's just like poison to to this county and to law enforcement. So we, we, you know, my my major goal is just to get him removed, and then we'll come back if in fact that occurs. And and if if y'all, um, if y'all think the evidence is sufficient, then you know you can decide whether or not you want to charge him criminally. So we, they did. Uh, what was, and we what did. was the
2: nature of what was the nature of that made it rise to the level where he said we got to impeach this guy? I mean, you know, the sheriff's elected, you know, so that's kind of a tough thing to do, right? The voters elect him. yeah, in. and it's not so,
1: something you want to do. Uh, certainly, being an elected official yourself, so um, I mean, it, it, there was there were many things, but probably the most the most flagrant thing that he was doing there, there was a guy that we had locked up in his jail. Um, that we had caught and charged with I think three separate t- counts of trafficking it had trafficking weight cocaine trafficking weight meth trafficking weight um I think it maybe had uh heroin, if I'm not mistaken, but he was a known drug dealer. we had prosecuted him multiple times before that day, so we get him in jail, and you know we're we're moving towards a trial date for him, and over a period of time we start hearing rumors you know that this guy's getting let out and and he's driving a truck that the sheriff department owns and selling dope and then coming back to jail at first we didn't believe it um and then we did some undercover work and confirmed that but it got worse then then when when the community started complaining about seeing him out then basically what he did was he gave him a room in the administrative part of the building, the the, the, the Sumter County uh, Sheriff's Office is set up where you got the sheriff's office and then the jail is on the back side of it. So, you know, you leave like an administrative office and then you go through some secured doors and then you enter the jail part. He gave him a, a space up in the administrative part that had an outside door. And he basically would had people bringing him drugs in through an open door and and was selling out of there as well. And then there was some human trafficking that was going on. He had women that he was trafficking that were doing the work for him. Um, so it, it was just real ugly, um, something that I never thought I'd have to deal with. So that, that's what led us to impeach him. And then when we—
2: Well, what's, his, know, tra- what's his defense? <laughs>
1: You know, I, sure. we should have
2: talked that and what name the stupidest defendant you had in court recently. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it's
1: odd you say that because, um, I, w- w- when we presented the impeachment to the grand jury, um, I reached out to him and and told him, you know, if you want to come to grand jury and defend yourself, you're welcome, and, which is not something we do to defendants very often. Um, and, He had an attorney, uh, and I was communicating with his attorney, of course, not him. Um, And I said, You know, if you, if I'm not going to let your attorney in the grand jury room, but he can be outside in the hall. You need to get up and go outside and confer with him or whatever. I'll allow you to do that. But, you know, I don't, I don't want, I don't want it to be said that we presented this to a grand jury and didn't give you a chance to, to speak up and defend yourself. So he did. And, and it was, it was painful, Uh, painful for him.
2: And the grand jury, they can't have their lawyer in there. So how do they go? So how do they go about defending themselves? I mean, you present the evidence, right? And then do they get a chance to? Because you, you're presenting the evidence, so do they cross-examine witnesses? I mean, what what is that? What is that? No, process? I
1: mean he he was just called as a witness, but a witness on his own behalf, where he was basically allowed to come in there and and say why he had not done these things that he knew he was being accused of. And of course we had to spend 15 minutes advising him of his rights and that he didn't have to testify. He wasn't compelled to testify, but that if he did, you know, we could certainly use it against him and and use it in, in future proceedings. So, you know, he, he was just that brash. Um, He thought he could come in and, and, and talk his way out of it. Um, He was a popular sheriff. Um, He was, I mean, I hate to use the word. He was worthless. I mean, he he was no good for law enforcement, but um you know, he just thought he had that much uh power, I guess, or influence that he could come in there and talk his way out of it. So he did. Uh he couldn't. Um he it it went very poorly for him. Um and then did the grand course,
2: jury members get to ask questions?
1: Yes, they did. Uh and that was painful as well. Um, but you know, so we moved on um, after the impeachment was over, after he'd been removed. We presented um, the criminal charges to the grand jury. They did indict him. I can't remember. I want to say it was like an eight or nine count indictment. Um, there were there were other things he was doing where he was just using his, his office for personal gain. So there, there were some of those involved. And then you had human trafficking charges. You had um, conspiracy to commit a controlled substance crime. Uh, We charged them as accessory to distribution. I mean, there there were a multitude of charges. So that was the case that was coming up. That was the case that we were preparing um, because there were so many people involved in it, um, both in the jail, in the sheriff's department, out in the community. Um, We were trying to get our ducks in a row for that. It was about, I want to say maybe two weeks out. And so that particular day I had met with,
2: Hey, um, okay, real quick. Uh, yes. Who were all the folks involved in this investigation with you? Obviously, uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to, to use the county to investigate this guy because that's right. uh, so who is the State Bureau of Investigation in Alabama? Um, is, is there a separate one from um, the state patrol or did they Maybe help? Yeah. I mean, who, who actually did the investigation?
1: They have Unified in Alabama where everything is under the umbrella of ALIA, the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, but they have a division that is called the State Bureau of Investigation. Um, so when when we realized that we had to do something about the problem, you know, I went to Montgomery, I sat down and talked to the director at the time, um, we laid out for him, you know, what we believed to be occurring um, and, and how bad it had gotten and that something needed to be done. So, they assisted us. And when I say us, it was my office, and I run through my office a drug task force, um, all of which are very good law enforcement officers. And so it was my task force agents working in conjunction with Aaliyah, And then, even there, on um, about halfway through, the FBI got involved. Um, and so it was a FBI, SBI, DA's office investigation.
2: What was the nexus to get the FBI involved?
1: What what what, what was the predicate offense for them? It's
0: probably public official, isn't it?
1: You know, that's a good question, Morgan, and, and and I should be able to answer it just immediately, but I struggle now to recall. I want to say I want to say it was as something as simple as we were still just gathering information. You know, it was we were still investigating, and one of the things that we were interested in doing was doing surveillance on the residents that the drug dealer. The drug dealer would literally leave jail. He would go to his house. He would sell drugs all day. And then someone from the sheriff's office would come and pick him up and bring him back to jail. And so, we were wanting to put up cameras and do surveillance on his residence to show what was going on there whenever he was being brought and dropped off at his residence. And it was easier to to have a federal agency involved to get the type of uh, wiretaps, uh, yeah, you know, th- th- those types of things, than it was trying to go through the state. So. Uh, it seems, if I recall correctly, that's how they got involved. Now, we I, ended think up with, right, a,
2: I think it's me. public corruption. I think you're right, Steve. Too, it's public corruption because that's one of the things they have jurisdiction over.
1: Correct. Um, yeah, that's corrupt
2: correct. Officials.
1: So, yeah, it was. So it was three agencies involved in the actual investigation.
2: Right. So now you say you're about two weeks out. So take us from there. Yeah.
1: So we're just trying to prepare, and that particular day we were trying to account for everybody because we had gotten all these people, you know, together to go how, and, how and your witness the, list. Oof, I want to say it was north of 40 people oh um, and we had you know we had we had done that once already to to try the case before the Alabama Supreme Court because it was basically the same case you know just this time you know we were trying it in Sumter County for for criminal charges but the evidence was the same so you know we were trying to get a grip on that again we were trying to make sure that you know we could locate all our people and so I had met with um a task force agent and my investigator, and we broke for lunch. And there was a a place that we would eat that was just a block from the office. So, just in interest of time, we just went down there real quick and, and caught some lunch. And um, we walked back to the office. And I was um, I had gotten some food to take home to my wife. She wanted something to eat, and so we stopped there in front of the office. And we actually got stopped by a couple of ladies that we had seen inside the restaurant. Um, I had actually interviewed one of the two for a position that was coming open in my office about a week before that. And she said something to me about, Hey, I wanted to tell you something I didn't tell you the other day. And we stood there in a group and talked for a minute. And then I walked away to go get in my vehicle and they were still standing outside those two ladies and my task force agent and my investigator. And so I got to my vehicle, I opened the door. I got in my vehicle, and you know, I think before I even closed my door, I saw the gentleman that shot me. I saw him pull in uh, across the street. But this is downtown offices, right downtown. It's just right. It's on a corner up of the actual town square. So you know the streets are pretty narrow. It's not like a real wide street. And you know it was something about the way he looked at. at at me or my vehicle when he got out that really gave me a bad vibe. I I can't describe it. It just immediately put me on alert. It just didn't feel right. I don't know what it was, just a sixth sense or whatever. Did you Um, ever
2: meet this guy before?
1: Yeah, I knew him. him. Uh, I I knew him. I had known him um, years earlier before I was a prosecutor. I'd actually represented him. He'd gotten uh, behind in child support and, um, they were threatening to put him in jail, you know, if he didn't get caught up and he'd come in and retain me to, to represent him in it. And we got it resolved and got everything straight for him. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I felt like, you know, we had a pretty mutual respect for one another. I, if we saw each other out, which wasn't often, but when we did bump into each other, we always stopped and spoke. Um, I had not seen him in several years before the day of the shooting, But anytime I had seen him prior to that day, you know, it was always a we we would chat and 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 just catch up on what he was doing and what I was doing. But uh, certainly not a bad relationship between us at all.
2: When you represented him, was he a state trooper at that point?
1: No, he had uh, he had left employment with the troopers. I think he was driving a truck at the time.
2: And there was a little bit of a story behind one of the reasons why he left the state patrol. Right? I mean, there was something they thought. Didn't it go to a grand jury. Didn't get an indictment. But he was suspected of being involved in something else, right?
1: Yeah, he he had been a suspect in another shooting. Um, that, like you said, he was he was not charged, but he was a suspect in another shooting.
0: And that was a shooting involving another public official, wasn't it? Correct. A judge. A judge. Yeah, and when you say he had left his employment, what I read, he was fired.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that'd be correct.
0: You're being a whole lot more diplomatic.
2: <laughs> We're having to pull yeah. answers out of you. I'm going to start objecting. I'm going to start raising objections here. Non-responsive, Your Honor.
1: Well, it, you know, look. It, it I know was you're not trying a, to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, the man's deceased. I mean, I, 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 I was taught n- never speak ill of the dead. So I, I, I hate he did what he did. I hate. So let's just speak it factual.
2: Up. Let's don't talk bad. Let's just speak factual. So I mean, but the, the fact was he was he was fired uh, from the state patrol. It's one of those things. It doesn't matter if you did it or not, but you when you get involved in enough stuff like that, pretty soon Mm -hmm. even the state patrol goes, "Yeah, this is not going to work out." You know, you you can't be even associated with the case like that and still maintain credibility in court and stuff. So
0: that's right, Greg. One thing we say on Game of Crimes, Morgan and I are firm believers in this. Nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop because they make us all look bad.
1: That's right. I, I totally agree with that. Uh, I
0: love, I love your your being judicious in your wording and and diplomatic, and and I mean, admire you for that. But this son of a bitch made us all look bad because of what he did. Yeah, and what you're yeah. getting ready to tell us he was trying to do.
2: Yeah. So you're seeing him, you know, you see him across the street. So take it from there again.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, when I saw him, I mean, it, it 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 concerned me enough that I um I almost grabbed the weapon that I keep in my vehicle. Um, it's a the vehicle i drove it had a a concealed apart uh, compartment just something that was designed in the vehicle but you had to you had to push a button and to be able to access it to get get to it and i almost i almost grabbed it but when i looked back at him um he was he wasn't looking at me anymore and he was going to the trunk of his car so For whatever reason, I just relaxed and said, well, he's, you know, he's just here to get something or bring something to somebody downtown.
2: Now, this compartment you're talking, is that, was that just because it's the vehicle or is there a reason you were carrying um, a firearm? Because that's not not that it's uncommon, but it's not usually common for a district attorney to uh, have a concealed weapon.
1: Um, you know, I've, I've pretty much always kept a weapon in my vehicle. I've never carried one on my person until that day. I've carried one on my person since that day. Um, but you know, I mean, it's just, it's the nature of what we do. I mean, we deal with a lot of, a lot of bad people and a lot of those people, um, regardless of the fact that they do what they do to bring themselves in my world, you know, if they get sent to prison or whatever, you know, some, some of them do have a axe to grind with you, even though it has nothing to do with you. But so I think it's just prudent to have some protection close by because just based on what we do. Um, but anyway, I, um, so I saw him go into the trunk of his car and I took my eyes off of him long enough to, to engage, put my, my vehicle in drive. And when, when I look back up from that, I saw him and he was, he had already closed some distance between his vehicle and mine. And he was, he was already aiming the gun, the shotgun at me. So, you know, really there was no reason why he shouldn't have killed me. Uh, I've, I've resigned to that fact. It was just, it was just one of those things, I think. Um, there were several things that helped me. I had heavy tent on my windows. I think that slowed down some of the shot. I think the biggest part of the initial shot he fired, it hit my um, my side view mirror. So I think it it, it caught a lot because, there, you know, we all know I wasn't fast enough to, to dodge a shot. So I was sitting straight up when I saw him and the first shot was fired. I just got lucky and, you know because some of them hit the side view mirror and some of them got slowed down by the the tent and the window what what did end up hitting me just wasn't that bad. I got one in my arm and I got one in my side, but then I was down at that point I mean I just laid down you know as as far as I could and he shot he shot four more times, and all those shots came through my truck. I had some slugs that went all the way through my truck, went, came in one side and went out the other side. And, Whoa. and, you know, he just didn't hit me. I had buckshot that went in the back of my seat that didn't hit me. So, you know, I, I was just real fortunate.
0: So he's he's not only shooting uh, sh- uh, shells with pellets, but he's got slugs?
1: Yeah, he sh- there was slugs that, that went... All the way through my vehicle, we entered one side and when they came out the other side, they left holes that big around. I think wow. there were two that went all the way through my vehicle, and there was buckshot that that went through, um, you know, and and went all the way through my seats. Uh, they were like, you know, like one bucked or two buck, two alt. So. Uh, he was shooting an assortment of, the, of of shells.
2: So when you were first starting to go and you said he came at you, so like if you're facing north, like that's 12 o'clock, he was coming at you from what, like the 11 o'clock position coming at you, kind of angled?
1: Um, yes. Yeah, about 10 or 11. Okay. Yeah, because he, he was, instead of being parked directly across from me, he was one space up from me. So he was coming at that much of an angle. Um. And, you know, like I say, the the first shot I heard and, you know, it it just – when it ripped through the vehicle i think when it hit that that mirror i think that was the worst thing cuz it my eyes were open at that point and so all of that debris from the glass and the the plastic on that rear or, or side mirror it went in my eyes and i couldn't see i mean it 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 just blinded me all that stuff just went in my eyes and when i laid down i mean i, I couldn't see at all i was trying to reach for that place where my weapon was, was um at the time, but I couldn't see well enough to find the button so that I could get to it then. I was just a sitting dug.
2: So did you was it did you see I think going back to what you said, you saw the shotgun before the shot was taken or was it the shot that you so you no, saw I the shot. Okay.
1: I saw it, but it was it was almost instantaneous. I mean as soon as I looked down the barrel of the gun, it seemed like just right after right. that I heard I heard the report of the gun.
2: Well, and the context we're setting, too, because it just goes back to the discussion you were just having because you had one of your investigators and a task force officer talking to the other lady. Where are they at when this thing goes down?
1: I want to say it was uh, three vehicles, you know, behind me or two. I'm not sure. I know my investigator was parked behind me, and it seemed like there was one other car. So, you know, two car links and then they were right there on the sidewalk you know, behind those cars.
0: So they're not around the corner or anything?
1: No, no. They, I mean, they were, they were right there. Um, you know, thankfully, or otherwise I wouldn't be here. Cause I mean, that's, that's when they engaged him when he was in the process of reloading to, to, you know, cause I mean, I, when he stopped shooting, you know, that was the the very first thing that I thought of was the next thing that was going to happen was the gun was just going to come through the, the barrel was going to come through the window and he was just going to shoot me laying there was the, the, when the the shooting stopped, I said, that's going to be the next thing that happens. Um And I, I, maybe I was thinking about what Cole and Leslie were doing, but um, you know, it was about the time that that thought crossed my mind about the next thing he's going to do is just put the gun right through the window and shoot me is when I heard you know, them engage him. So at that point I knew I had a chance.
2: Now, were they yelling at him, like drop the gun or was it just, did they just, and he obviously didn't do it right. He continued to reload.
1: Yeah. Cole, uh, bass singer, who is my investigator. Yep. Bear with me. It still gets to me, but, um, not
0: a problem, brother.
1: He went out in the road, no cover, And engaged him, you know, him with a shotgun. And um, despite being in that position, he still, I I, I recall clearly hearing him tell him two or three times to put the gun down before I ever heard a shot. And and I think the the first shot that Cole got off, he, he did retreat back to the rear of his vehicle and he posted up on the trunk of his vehicle to, you know, to engage Cole at that point. But Cole was, I mean, he was not in a covered position. He was standing in the middle of the road. So, I mean, he's a he's a father too.
0: Now, the bad guys is, did he reload his shotgun or did he go get yeah, a handgun? He did.
1: When he got to his car, he got reloaded, and um, that's when the the task force agent, um, his name is Leslie Hines. Leslie came down the the sidewalk. So at that point he was he was trying to get to the other side so they could could flank him and so they got him you know they got him pinned down from two different positions once Leslie got on the other side and they drove him back they he finally couldn't stay where he was behind his car and there was an alley uh between the buildings right there close to where his car was parked and he tried to get into that alley but uh Leslie was the same way once he got beyond the vehicles he was he was not in a covered position either, and he shot. Uh, Steve Smith shot at him several times, and there was there was buckshot all over the side of the building where he was. And you know how he didn't hit him is is beyond me as well.
0: That's uh, uh, divine intervention, brother. That's all I can say.
1: Yeah, it it was. It was, I mean, I don't know how I survived that that first part, but I mean, it, there's no doubt in my mind I, I survived the rest of it because of those two guys.
0: Well, well and, and every article I read about this, and I've, I've read a whole lot of articles about, about the shooting, they all pretty much say the same, but you're not bashful about immediately pointing out who your saviors are on this. And you're pointing out that uh, Cole and Leslie are the ones that saved your life. And if it wasn't for them, you wouldn't have your family now. Or you wouldn't be here talking about anything. And, and I love that because it shows the humble side. You recognize what actually happened that day. It's, it's uh, the, Those two guys are heroes.
1: Yeah, I mean no doubt. And you know I, it it comes back to so many things. I mean, Leslie um he is uh I don't, I don't know the right word. I, it it's be hard to describe him, but um He is he is a firearms instructor, so he is he is very well trained and he has made training such a a focus within our drug task force. And Jr. has been a big part of that. Steve, as you know, um, we've gotten people from all over the country to come in and train our our task force agents. Some of the best training I think probably is available uh, in the United States. And so without a doubt that that had a big part. And, and what they did, but it's still, you can, y'all know this. I mean, you can be trained no matter how good you're trained. You still got to have the fortitude to walk into a man that's got a shotgun shooting. And both of those guys did that. So It's easy
0: to shoot paper because paper doesn't yeah, shoot
1: back. Yeah, so yeah. And,
0: and, what, and just, just so our listeners can know this, one of the things I found was a video uh, where Cole and Leslie are being interviewed. As they're finishing up, I think it was a three-day uh, firearms training class with one of the professionals, a former special forces guy that that they had brought in to train them. Right. And they're they're humble in their opinions, but they talk about how because of that training, you know, they it's almost they could anticipate what each other was going to do. So as yes. Cole's setting up, you know, one position, Leslie's flanking the guy, and and Cole says, "I knew that's what he's going to do," and that yep. comes from practice. That comes from being together all the time. Uh, Being confident developing that in each personal, other. Yeah, de- yeah, and the trust, them. the trust and respect in each other, and people, you can watch that on YouTube.
1: Yeah.
2: So let's let's close out what happened here because they engage him and he starts to go to the alley. So how much longer does this uh, engage? Does this gun battle happen before um, it's over? H- how much longer do they go?
1: Uh, he 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 retreated in the alley, and I think he 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 stopped at some point he engaged leslie um they exchanged gunfire and then he he turned to go down the alley and I think that's when Leslie crossed the road and um and got a round off that that stopped him and then he still even after he went down he sat there and continued to fire back at Leslie you know from a seated position even after that so there was a from from where I was, it sounded like um, you know. I know it sounds kind of silly, but it sounded like a small war. I mean, I, I don't know how many rounds total were fired between Cole Leslie and and Steve Smith, but it, it was a bunch. I don't. I I think I remember Leslie saying he shot three magazines. So wow. Cole Cole left after Leslie had him in the alley and had him pinned down. Cole left and came back to my vehicle, um, you know, just to see to see what my condition was so it, at that point it was just he and leslie but it i don't I mean the whole the whole shootout didn't last more than a minute
2: yeah but that's like a lifetime though you're not yeah. so you know
0: I, I just want to say that i met cole and leslie the first time we came down we were out there at jr's ranch and, and he had us off out for a steak dinner that night uh, were you there that night yes i think you were yeah and and uh, as you're getting to know all the all the police officers down there, you know, I mean, we're hanging out with everybody, just trying to meet everybody. And and uh, course of course, the war stories start because we're cops. That's what we do. Oh, yeah. We tell war stories, right?
1: That's right. And
0: and the next thing I know, somebody's telling me, well, Greg's got a war story over here, and then <laughs> and then somebody told me about Cole and Leslie, and the guys were, you know, they're not bragging.
1: No. But
0: and the reason I'm saying all this is because I noticed, um. I don't know why, but I noticed that everybody was carrying, you know, they got, everybody's in plain clothes. We're out having a good time, but they're not just carrying, they've got multiple magazines on them. And I'm thinking, man, this is rural Alabama. Do you really need to to suit up like that? But then I found out the story and why, and you tell me that Leslie went through three mags right there. You got to do a lot of training to to be able to be in combat and change those mags and continue to engage a target like that. So, well, uh this this explains a whole lot hearing the story from you. Well, I will
2: tell you, Murph, too, that was one of the things we went through when um, you know, as a trooper, but you're out there by yourself. Sometimes your closest backup's 30, 45 minutes away. And so yeah. we got That's permission. Right. I got permission to modify our shotgun. So I put an extended tube on it mm-hmm. so I could put another three rounds into it. I had a sleeve on the back. Um, had extra uh, mags for uh, well at that time, extra speed loaders for the Smith and Wesson, extra clips for the Mini Fourteen we had. But yeah, that's one of the things you go to war with what you have. But um, let's yeah. just finish out this last part of it, though, Greg. So, um, what finally brought this to an end? Did was would did he finally surrender? Did he have to be taken out? What what brought this whole uh, firefight to an end?
1: <clears throat> no, he he would not surrender. Um, I think. You know, like I said, even after Leslie got him down, he continued to fire. And um, you know, it it, it was a gun battle until I guess Leslie finally hit him with a, a shot that was fatal. Um, but that's how it ended. It was he he made absolutely no effort to ever stop firing or, or heed any commands to stop firing or put the gun down. All all he did was shoot.
2: Well, and it leads to it begs the question, um, uh, which is I know one of the hardest things, why? Why did this guy decide that he was going to pick you that day?
1: You know, um...
2: And what precipitate... I mean, what... uh, I know they went back and tried to look at it, but you you realize the question. uh, Of all days, why today? And of all people, why you?
1: You know, I don't think anybody could answer why that day, but uh, according to his sister and and his um, girlfriend they had noticed a change in him over about a six or seven month period of time where he'd gotten very paranoid. Um, he was telling them that he lived over in Sumter County. He was telling them that he thought somebody was breaking into his house when he was gone. Um, that kind of morphed into, he thought they were going into his house when he was gone and, and, um, trying to poison him, uh, messing with his food, with his medicine, things like that. It had gotten so bad where he had booby trapped his doors, uh, had set up guns, you know, to shoot somebody that would have come in. He was coming in, going through a window, he was parking a half a mile up the road and walking to his house. Um, and he wow. communicated to I think the girlfriend that he said, I can't catch these people that are doing this to me, so I know it has to be um griggers is guys that are doing it because they're the only ones that are good enough to do it and me not catch them so i think that's where he got fixated on me um i don't know why he picked that day but i think it was just a gradual you know he was getting more and more paranoid what whatever was was driving his paranoia, where it was true mental illness or what? But, That's what I
2: was going to ask. Yeah. Um, you know, it's either it sounded almost either one of the things like mental illness or something with drugs. So obviously they they do an autopsy on him, they do toxicology screens. Uh, anything come back on that to indicate he he was under the influence of anything or?
1: You know, I honestly, don't recall if I ever even looked at an autopsy report on him to know. Um, I don't recall anybody mentioning to me that he had anything of significance in in the toxicology, but. Um, you know, I, I think there was certainly an element of mental illness there that was in play, which is weird because I'm sure, as you know, I mean, you know, those those types of things, I mean, it, it almost appeared as if he would become paranoid schizophrenic. And that's something that, you know, it usually if it hadn't developed or shown itself by the time you're about 21 or 22, then you don't ever see it. And that's very so, late in
2: life for something yeah. like that to manifest itself. Yeah. yeah.
1: So but that that appeared to be why he was there. I mean, you know, the the side of the story, not by people many people know is that his his trunk was full of weapons and ammunition uh he came there to kill everybody in my office um that that would have been his plan that's what he would have done but for encountering me out there on the street when he did he his plan was just to walk in the door probably with multiple guns and kill everybody that was in there
0: he so, just happened to see you getting in your truck there.
1: That's what I say, target of opportunity. He saw you yeah.
2: there and decided to pull over that's and right. park and do it. Luckily, well,
0: correct. What kind of truck did you have?
1: Uh, a, t- a Chevy Tahoe. Man. Oh, well,
2: man, it's good thing you had a big-ass truck like that, too, because that's that's another thing you don't think about, right, but that's something that contributed to saving your life, too.
1: No question. No question. I mean, it, it, took, it took a lot of the, I'm sure, you know, it took a lot of the, the steam out of those projectiles that were coming through the door and whatnot.
0: Wow! I just—I tell you what—I'm—I'm I'm pretty sure Cole and Leslie don't have to buy a beer when you're around, do they?
1: <laughs> no, they do not. <laughs> oh, they do not. I'll Man. have to remember
0: that too next time we come down. They won't buy while I'm around.
1: Well, I Thank
2: let you. me—you know—we're kind of getting to the cl- close of this, but I got to ask you one question: How do you, how do you, how do you deal with this with your wife and family? You know, because this is not your first close call. This is your second close call. I mean, it's like, um. I, I don't. I don't know of anybody. I, I know if people have had one, like I told you, my friend on the Captain uh, Sully, but I've never. I never run into anybody that's had two like this.
1: Hey, I named my dog Sully, by the way, or my wife named our dog Sully. I think, and I, I, I said it was because of Captain Sully because I'm a big fan. But, uh, I, you know, I, Lord, I mean they've they've been so supportive. Um, you know, it's not something you just forget about. You can't just get over it. I mean, there's a lot of still anxiety at times um so but i don't know you know i think once you get over the uh initial trauma of the deal you know it's kind of like the airplane crash you you realize that you were given uh days that you probably shouldn't have um and you, you you know hopefully you take advantage of that um you know I've we've had another child since that happened so you know i'm 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 you know, when I look at Polly now who just turned a year old on April nine, I mean she she never would have been if that day had turned out differently. But um my little boy, you know, he's he turns uh seven June third and you know, I'm so glad he still has a dad. But so you hopefully you you just appreciate being given the a second chance and um you know, I know they've been there definitely for me, you know, dealing with it. So it's all good now
0: just to put this in context i don't think we ever mentioned the time period this occurred in november 2018 correct
1: correct right. yes yeah,
0: so it's uh and you so your final wounds were two pellets
1: yeah i didn't and and they were very minor i mean the one that went in my in my tricep you know it probably didn't penetrate more than about an inch and the one that went in in my side was the same way because uh, cole and i were paranoid i mean Cole drove me to the hospital, you know, and the whole way, just because I was bleeding, you know, we were just convinced that something, you know, they bound to have been something worse than that because he shot so many times. And, but once we got in there and they put me through the x-ray machine a couple of times, I didn't realize that, you know, I didn't have anything unaccounted for. You know, well,
0: yeah. The articles I was reading said you were shot in the face, but obviously that one. I thought maybe that's why you have a beard now.
1: Yeah, some somehow that got reported. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I, caught I think it's stuff in my of the glass.
2: I was going to say the glass yeah. stuff hitting you in your eyes. Somebody would have thought you had been shot in the face, but yeah,
0: uh, were, were you bleeding from the face?
1: My eye looked really bad for a while, just because I guess all that glass and and metal and stuff. The first um, they did a press conference. I want to say maybe two days after the shooting and it looked really bad during that. And I think that may be where some of it came from, but um, mainly what happened to my eye though, was just from the glass and stuff. Cause I mean, I, I still get to this day, I still get glass out of my eye. Wow. Just, I'll wake up and I'll have a piece in the corner of my eye and I get it out. That's a piece of glass. Wow. So.
0: Boy, I tell you what, man, that's, just, um, <laughs> well, there's two moments. Way, you go
2: to a party and you, I mean, you've got two stories. there's, <laughs>
0: There's just that's the, that's the drop the mic one, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow!
2: And, and if somebody tried to tell you that, and you'd go, "You're full of shit." There's no way, you know. It's like no nobody goes through that kind of stuff. But man, you are you are living proof. Well, look, the the good Lord's got a plan for you. Uh, we don't know what it is yet, but. Um, you're not going to mind if you say let's go out to eat sometime. if i say look i'll get something and i'll meet you somewhere' you know? like <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> if if you want to travel you're safe to fly with me though because the odds are very good that you will not be on a crash with me
2: yeah <laughs> it, it's hard to do it yeah twice well look it, but it, you know it's so amazing what you've been through but look we got to tell you though this is this is so interesting and thanks for indulging us on the first part too because mm-hmm. we've get we're, we're this is i've been in court many times Murphy you've been in court many times we kind of know what we know but we never get to n- get into the mind of of a prosecutor, you know, and say, how do you make these decisions? What's important to you? And I got to tell you, I wish, uh, I hope that there's a lot more people out there like you that take their job seriously, that say, look, it's it's to my benefit to make sure you as the defense attorney, you're ready for court. I mean, was, people are going to get freaked out, but here you are calling up somebody said, hey, you better file this motion or we're both going to get in trouble with the judge, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. and you're you're actually helping them. And that's unheard of for a lot of people. They go, no, nah, the job is to is to slam them and, you know, and and just do what you have to do. But it's it's good to know that there's good people out there like you doing this kind of work out there, and uh, you folks can't see this, but this is us saluting you, Greg thank Rigger, you. saying thank you, sir, for a job well done. Well,
0: you thank, know, you. thank you. Know, you know, in, in law enforcement, you probably know this, Greg, because you've been so for twenty years now, at least. And and uh, you know, cops, we talk to each other. We talk about the ADAs and the prosecutors and AUS uh, Assistant U.S. Attorneys and so forth and the judges. And uh, I'm pretty sure that you would be referred to as a policeman's prosecutor. Meaning that you're one of the guys that they want to work with, and it's a straight out compliment. Um, yeah. I'm just I,
1: yeah, and I, I definitely take it that way, and I, I I feel that way. I mean, I've I've had a um, a good relationship with all the law enforcement agencies in this circuit, really from day one, and. Um, you know, you got to appreciate what those guys go through and, you know, they have to appreciate what you have to do with, with their work product. And if you don't build those relationships and if they can't appreciate what you're trying to do, you know, with their cases, you just, you know, you just you end up just butting heads. So, um, yeah, it's, I've I've enjoyed the 20 years that I've spent trying to prosecute cases that the, the men and women have made in my circuit, but you can't do it having a standoff relationship with them, you know, you've, you've got to spend time with them and they've got to know that you care about what they're doing. And, I mean, y'all know, I mean, these some of these cases get very personal for law enforcement and they want to know that you take them serious and that you're going to take them as serious as, as they do. So, um, you know, I, I feel like we've I've always had a very good relationship with my law enforcement people.
0: Well, it's, it's been a true honor to have you on here. I appreciate you giving us your time here. No, uh, I appreciate forward, the invite. Looking forward to seeing the next time we come down to CJR and go to your bottom lodge. And, and I think you're trying to set up something down there in, in Tuscaloosa, maybe. Over at the University of Alabama, we'll see what happens down there. God bless you, brother. Glad you are still here
2: you, with Steve. us.
1: Thank you very much. Well, yeah, I'm Morgan, not, it was a pleasure to meet you.
2: Pleasure to meet you. But uh, although um, we'll have to see if Notre Dame and Alabama meet this year. <laughs> and but, but anyway, good good luck to you. Let's let's see what happens. You know, uh, I was going to say War Eagle, but your heart lies with Roll Tide. So I'll we'll, uh, tell you what. If
0: Alabama and Notre Dame meet, me and you has, might have to put some money on that, Morgan.
2: <laughs> well, we will. hey, look, it's going to be our year. We're, we're we're building back. Marcus Freeman's done a good job. Uh, we're yes, not. He has. We're not rebuilding. Yes, we're reloading, so uh, this will <laughs> be uh, this will be an interesting year. Well, hey, look, the excellent story. Don't you go anywhere. You guys stay right there. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. Okay, as if surviving a plane crash, which few people do. Um, wasn't enough, he survives an ambush, which he should have been killed in that one as well, too. The guy was shooting slugs and everything else. And so uh, it is. And, and, you know, to this day, and this is one of the things you'll find out, folks, when you hear these stories. It could be years later, like with Dave Reichert talking about the Green River Killer. He still got choked up talking about the victims. Greg gets choked up talking about the two officers who saved his life and engaged this shooter.
0: That just shows you how humble this man is. Um, I, I love it that he did get emotional about it because it's all about those two police officers putting themselves in harm's way with a former police officer shooting it back at them. They were willing to risk their own lives to save Greg. And you know what? It it would have been anybody in that community that they would have done the same thing for. That's why we have Game of Crimes to show you the bravery, the sacrifices that these law enforcement professionals are welcome to are willing to make, even in some of the smaller rural areas of our of our country. Here, so. God bless you, Greg, for what you went through. Again, I'm not ever going to travel with you, I don't think. I'm not sure I want to even ride in a car with you, because who knows what's going to happen next. I'm not sure how many more of those cat's lives you've got left, but brother, we're glad you're still here with us.
2: Yeah. Well, you've got seven more to go, because we got seven more stories we could tell. So that was a—but that was a good <laughs> one, man. And seriously, it's like— It was. Uh, and, you know, you think about it, it's like, oh my God, you know, you survive a plane crash. 13 people died. Um, a lot more should have died. In fact, he should have died, except you know what they did? They realized they needed to survive and they they do you do what you gotta do to survive. You climb out through a seam in the yep. plane. Um, um look, I burned I, his I, hands doing it. B- but Holy you know cow. what? Burned hands and a broken leg is suffer- is preferable to the the fate that it, it was the other 13. So again, we're not making light of it. It's like, but imagine surviving something like that. Um
0: Absolutely.
2: Uh, anyway, hats off to you there, Greg Griggers, Lower Alabama, district attorney, Demopolis. Yes, sir. I thought it was Themopolis. I thought it was something out of the movie 300, Demopolis. It sounded like something Xerxes would attack or King Leonidas would uh, defend Demopolis. But but as we found out that these French. But anyway, hey, guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode. Again, another great episode. Uh, Head on over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. Let us know what you think about it. Let your friends know what you think about it. More importantly, that's the way this gets out there some people think it's all social media. No, it's not. It's word of mouth. You tell a friend, that friend tells a friend, you say, listen, you got to listen to this. And we spent a lot of time at the Southern California gang conference, you know, Hey, give me your phone. Let me show you how to subscribe to game of crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Artificially inflating <laughs> our numbers. No. Hey, but guys, but, but that's the way it works. And we have people come up to us. Hey, I heard you, you know, where's it at? So, uh, let everybody know, Game of Crimes. Also, head on over to Podcast.com for more information about the show. We put stuff on there. We put books on there. Um, also, head uh, check us out on that social media thing, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes on podcast, and the Instagram. Uh, but also, make sure you head on over to Patreon. Patreon! dot com slash game of crimes. We just released Q and A. We've got nine one one coming out. We've got uh, you can't make this shit up coming out uh, this month. Uh, we've got uh, season two of Narcos that Murph and I will be reviewing to see if Murph. Now, I'm going to see how accurate your recollection is because we know we know the series is 100 accurate. We're going to test your knowledge against the series and see how close you are. <laughs> And I want you to finally come clean. I'd
0: probably be a little off.
2: <laughs> I want you to come clean and finally admit you and JP did throw somebody out of the helicopter. We're gonna get a we're gonna get a world first confession uh, on our next review of Narcos.
0: You know the statute of limitations on murder never runs out, so well, I probably won't hear that story. <laughs> <laughs> but Bo- oh yeah I know but we
2: have an episode coming out with somebody uh, Murph, uh we'll talk about that we won't give it away but we got some kind of out with somebody that admitted while we were talking to him he's handled it but good for nine murders
0: oh yeah uh, the, the stuff that's coming up I mean some of the guests that we've got coming up uh we are so far out ahead right now that it's it's I'm I'm when I'm calling I talked to a couple more I haven't even told you about that are ready to go um, and I'm telling them, you know, just give us a few weeks because we we just have so much in the tube right now. I think you guys are really going to like what you hear coming up. Yeah, you definitely are. Anyway, so
2: we know what you're going to like, what you're going to hear going up, because the best part you want to hear about what's coming up now is the end. So this is the end of it, yep. guys. <laughs> what do you yep. like best about the podcast? The end. Okay, guys. Thank you. We <laughs> <laughs> And thank you, guys. We really appreciate all your support. And thank you guys once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all. The. Game of Crimes.